This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 377 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit and EcoVet. Tonight, we're going to wrap up the Olympic discussion with Kathy Conley and Max Cochran from the Eventing Show. Janet Floyd will lead us through the Grand Prix in the Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Walkwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. And we've got Glenn with us producing hey. the show for us today. Hey guys, it's so been a while. I That's know. Entertaining you with our dressage, right? Yes, yes. And I got to tell you, before we get started into all the great Olympic coverage, uh, I wanted to apologize to all the listeners for last week when many of you couldn't listen to the shows because you were having trouble downloading the files and getting to the website and listening on the app and stuff. What happened was that the basically we killed the server. Um, you guys crashed the show. So you guys That's crashed awesome. the server. Yeah, I called the server <laughs> company, of. and the first thing he said said to me is whoa you're you're popular and <laughs> then he said you realize you've delivered almost a terabyte and a half of data last month which is incredibly large he said i haven't seen that in three months so he said you could should your server should have died about a year ago and you've been <laughs> working on borrowed time here so we had to upgrade to larger servers and it's thanks to you guys the listeners so thank you for listening and you've uh, you've helped us break the internet again so nice. Yeah, we so, broke the internet. Yeah. I love it. We broke the internet last year during Radiothon, thanks to Bob Baffert, and now we broke it again. So <laughs> it's uh, yes. it should be speedy now. We had unfortunately we're down for two days. Right when your show came out, we were down for two days, and mm. we there was nothing we could do. They had to tra- it took them six and a half hours with their super fast connections to transfer all the data to the new server. Wow, that's, that's how so cool. big our website is with forty nine hundred sound files. So. We, uh, we're all good now. It's speedy, it's zippy, and it should be uh, good until we break it again. Nice. We're looking forward <laughs> to that, for sure. Love so, it. So thank you, everybody, for helping us do that, and we apologize for your delays last week. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a really big show tonight, don't we, Phil? Yeah, I think, I think we might, might just get right to it. I mean, we've yeah, got we interviews from people that, are, awesome. that were in Rio and interviews that people who had a hand in selecting the dressage team the american team that did so well got got your got yourselves a bronze medal this time yes congratulations yes. <laughs> very cool <laughs> well excellent well right after this commercial break we're going to come back with the co-host of the eventing radio show max Cochran, and she's going to talk about her experience in rio as a groom for the uh, puerto rican team he was her first love the one that started it all. He taught her how to master the posting trot and navigate her first hunter course. They spent hours together exploring the trails and hanging out in the barn. His name was doodled on every page in her school notebook. His coat gleamed in the sun as he met her at the gate each day, snuffling for a treat. From the first time she saw him poking his head out of the stall to the last time she patted him goodbye, He was, and always will be, her everything. 
This love story is brought to you by Nalox Advanced, providing complete support for a healthy digestive tract, which reduces the risk of colic and digestive upset. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. We are so excited to have the co-host of the eventing radio show, Max Corcoran on. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's kind of fun to be on the other end. I know. It, well, you can join saying. us. We're not We're not really stuffy. And stuffy. I know. <laughs> I know. I will say it was so much. Getting to know the dressage grooms for in, in Rio was so much fun. They were such a fun group. We had such a good time with them. They were so that's, much fun. That's what we've heard. That's the yeah. one on the street. Was just oh, the God, whole, they were great. The dressage grooms and the, you know, the riders, everybody seemed like they worked together and they had oh, a good wonderful. time. Yeah, so, they had such a, and that Eddie, I love him. He's hysterical. Oh, he's, 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 he's my favorite. Oh, God, he's he hysterical. He is, he's, funny. he's been around. He's been <laughs> yes, around a little bit, yeah. Eddie. He's been He's all great. over the world. Yeah. So, Max, I mean, start us off. What was the venue like? What What were you doing there? Like, tell us the whole thing. Well, um, I, I had actually, lucky enough, I got to go to Rio in 2007 for the Pan American Games. So I was a little bit um, ex- knowing what to expect uh, from there, except for the fact that in 2007, when I lived there, um, when we went down for the Pan American Games, uh, the grooms lived in shipping containers, which oh. was... <laughs> Which was Aww. really attractive. <laughs> with with so no, that windows? Was, no, no windows. No windows. We sort of had bunk beds, oh. no bathrooms, no cold, no oh. no warm water. Um, wow. So it was it was definitely trying, and and it was interesting. The only warm water really on the venue was in the horses' wash racks, which got disinfected every day at about four thirty. So we ended up showering in the horses' wash racks every day. Which yeah, you was did. Always- <laughs> yeah, we did. The American and the Canadian teams, we sort of put a shower curtain up across yep. the back quarter and um, we made our own bath. We made our own little shower there. It was fantastic. <laughs> so oh I God. was um, very pleasantly surprised. And um, I was lucky enough to go and travel with uh, Lauren Billies, who uh, was representing Puerto Rico for eventing. Um, and she has a fantastic horse and is, she's awesome. She's, she is great. And I had a a wonderful time working with her and for her, um, over the week. And, um, she's got a great horse named Castle Larch. Wait, I'm going to get this wrong. Castle Sportsfield. Oh, I get it wrong. I call him Purdy. He's fantastic. Yes. Castlefield Large, Castlefield Large Purdy. That's it. It's a big long name, but he's a wonderful creature. And I got to um, uh, Derek DeGrazia and B. DeGrazia, her coaches, and and Emily Sandler. She was our vet. And so we just had the, we had such a great time. We were sort of our own little entity because she was the only uh, equestrian from Puerto Rico. They are competing in any discipline. So we were sort of our we were our own little spot there. So we had a great Aww. time and it was, oh, cool. it was wonderful, but I got to live with the American eventing grooms who are all really good friends of mine. Um, so it was great. And the, the venue was fantastic. They, the horses had big, beautiful stalls. Um, it, it was great. Uh, wash racks and, and nice. I mean, unfortunately the sand was a bit deep where we had to walk through, but I mean, if you had to pick a part on it, I mean, really those are minor details. So, um, it was great and they, it was really well organized and it was clean and it was safe and it was, uh, you had everything you needed. So it was, it was really quite good. So, uh, you know, we did hear that there were some bullets 
that flew. Oh, yes. I mean, I, I know it was they flew in the press tent, and since Phil and I are technically members of the press, and so are you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. That makes me slightly nervous. I know a lot of people want to take out the press, but we are a friendly network. So right. We, I think what, what happened? actually happened was that the, it was a stray bullet that basically, <laughs> because we were on a military base, um, there uh-huh. wasn't anybody aiming for it. Basically, it sort of fell into the the <laughs> press tent. It sort of it was just, and it sounds a lot worse than it was. It just sort of someone <laughs> was sitting there typing away, and they're like, "Oh, this bullet just fell here, huh?" <laughs> so it was just one of those random things, and I don't think it was clearly nobody was aiming at somebody. It just sort of fell. It was odd, yes, but you know, we <laughs> were in in Rio, and it, it is on a military base, so it was, it, you know. I don't know. <laughs> it didn't seem that bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so you felt safe, and and so yeah. were you? Like, were the athletes staying? Where where were you in comparison to like where the athletes stayed and all that? We stuff? the grooms had a, a really great. They had a grooms sort of village. They had three apartment buildings about um, a five minute, five seven minute walk to the barns, nice. uh, which was great. And uh, we had a really nice. They were you know four bedroom, three bathroom apartments with living rooms and wi-fi and tvs and i mean we really we did well um and so we were there and most of the i would say the majority of the athletes were at the athlete village which was um apparently a bit the same and i know uh, the american riders had a great time and my rider had a great time staying there because they got to meet and see all the other athletes um of all the different disciplines and countries and such so they and they had a bus that took them, you know, when every half hour, so they could hop the bus to whenever they wanted to get there or or leave. And um, nice. and they were, you know, on the Olympic lane. They had a lane that was just designated for Olympic vehicles. And so, you know, it all worked out really quite well. It was, um, really? you know, fairly well organized and and stuff like that. So it, you know, people nobody seemed to mind it. Nice. That's yeah. good. Did you get I mean, Sorry, I was just going to ask, did you get a chance to come, get off the base at all and into the city? Or, or what was your Rio experience like? Well, I actually didn't because there was a couple of trips that went to the, as we call it, the Big Jesus and yeah. the Sugarloaf. <laughs> but I, I I, had done that in 2007. So it was sort of a funny, the timing was a little bit funny. And I was like, eh, I'm all right. I'll, I'll stay here. You know, I didn't actually really mind just sticking around. But I know a lot of the other grooms and a lot of the riders went and had... Um, went out and did sort of fun touristy things. But even at night, there was a, a really neat pub just around the, we call it a pub, um, sort of around the corner from where we went. And, and a lot of the grooms um, would sort of meet the vets and the farriers and such from the, that were part of the Olympic uh, committee uh, would sort of, it was, you know, from our grooms village, it was maybe a five minute walk. And these people were great and they would have karaoke and we'd have some caparinas and it was great to get off the venue a couple of times, but it was, yeah, we had fun, but it was, um, again, you always felt safe. It was fine. You just were smart. You didn't wear your Olympic clothing outside the venue. You didn't, you know, you just have to be smart. It's a city, you know, it's a third world country. It's a city. So you just have to be smart when you left, just had to be just uh, a heads up. That's all. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's good. I mean, that's great to hear. Yeah. And how was the cross country course? I know there was some talk that it was Oof. wicked hard. It so was, tell us it a was really hard. That. Yeah. I think, you know, typically, um, I was lucky enough, uh, Derek DeGrazia, who is the course designer for Rolex and he is the course designer for the world champ, the next world championships and the next Olympic games. And he was my rider's coach. So for me, I got to a little bit pick his brain about what he thought and stuff like that and, and his thoughts on it. Um, the course itself was probably the stiffest 
Olympic horse they've seen in in a long, long time. Actually, you know, here's poor Lauren Billies, who's done two three stars in her entire life, is there Aww. and the course, you know, and she's there and like you know she's she's earned her place and she deserves to be there. And Mark Todd, who has been around forever, you know, he's uh, what is he? This is his eighth Olympic Games, right? And he's won gold medals and this and that. And he walks right up to Derek and says geez, that's like the hardest Olympic horse I've seen in decades, you know, right in front of Lauren. Oh, Lauren, Lauren, oh my God. Okay. So, <laughs> oh. I know. So it was, um, it was, it was very tough. Um, and I thought, I personally, I thought it was a bit unfair to some of the horses. I think horses got a bit punished for being brave. Um, and horses got very tired at the end, which you hate to see. Um, it's not meant to... Um, I, I think Derek's such a brilliant course designer because if he is, if he catches someone not concentrating or being on a line, the horses run out where this caused a lot of horses to fall down. Um, and you, and you hate seeing that and you need to reward their bravery and reward their accuracy instead of punishing it. Um, so it was, it was tough. It was a very difficult course. It was a lot tougher than people were expecting, especially at the Olympic games. There are some countries that are. Um, yes. we call, you know, they don't want to say it's lesser countries, but countries that maybe aren't England and Ireland and America and Great Britain and Germany. And so you, you've got, you know, Chile and Puerto Rico and some of these other countries, which ironically they did fantastic. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and so it was, it was tough, but they, they, they needed, I think they should have made it a bit kinder, especially eventing is struggling to stay in the Olympics as it is yes. anyway. Yeah. And to have the cross country, you, you're showing horses falling down and stuff like that. It's just going to make it harder to keep mm -hmm. it in the, in the sport. It's another reason to take it out, isn't it? So, yeah. um, yeah, the cross country was definitely difficult. I will say the horses for the most part, all look pretty good. They did a great job with the footing. The course building was beautiful. They did a beautiful job with the course building, the decorations, all that was gorgeous, but it was just maybe a bit. I mean, it was more of a four star than a three star and technically, the Olympics are known to be a three star. So ah. it was tough. It was definitely yep. tough. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but everybody, the nice thing is that nobody got hurt. Um, all the, no, no horses got really injured. Um, everybody's going to be fine. So that's actually the really good thing. Good. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, oh my gosh, it sounds great. I mean, any other thoughts you had from the whole, did you get to see any other events or did you come right on home? Well, we went, um, we did get to see, unfortunately, uh, the eventing was first. And so the dressage was starting, uh, just the day after we left. So we got to watch the two days of the, the, well, the first round of the dressage, uh, team. Um, we only got to watch the, 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 you know, obviously it's two days, but the first round, I guess it was, um, of the dressage and that's all we got to see. But on the one night, what was it? The night before we left, we went and saw the rugby sevens, which was really fun because it was just cool. across the street from us. And that was, that was really amazing to go see. And unfortunately, because our, our discipline started, you know, our trot up was on the day of opening ceremonies and then we went sort of straight through. So we were full on busy until almost, you know, right before then we leave right after. So we were there early before, so nothing was really going on. So we didn't get to see a ton, but at least we got to see some of it, which was really yeah. cool. Did yeah, you it meet, was good. Did you meet any famous athletes, other athletes at all? No, yeah. no I didn't. No, no. It was unfor I mean, except for, you know, all the brilliant American equestrians. Exactly. <laughs> I got to meet all the all the equestrian <laughs> heroes of, of, you know, so that was actually pretty 
cool, but I didn't get to meet um, anybody outside the outside the um, discipline. So unfortunately, but it was but just it's great. it's amazing to be a part of it, and it's amazing to be there, and it's you know you feel honored, and you know it was funny. I landed back in uh, Miami, and then I flew to Boston to come up to see my family. And I'm at the Boston airport and I'm thinking, I'm looking around, I'm like, do you people know where I've been? Like, you're just carrying on with your day. I've been to the Olympics, you know, <laughs> to sort of tell everybody. It was so embarrassing. But I said to text my friend, Joni Morris, who's the director of eventing. I said, do you ever get this feeling? She's like, all the time, all the time. So yeah, it was, oh um, you know, you're just honored to be a part of it. And and it's, uh, it's really cool. It's something we all sort of aim for. And, and it's just great to be a part of it. Wow, it's really yeah. cool, and and yeah. thanks so much. You were on vacation, and you came Yay. on. The show. Thank you so much. But no problem. It was really cool to hear about your experience, and it thank oh, you. Just makes me want to be in Tokyo. Yay! I, I know. Today. Four more years. <laughs> Four more years. I love it. Well, Max, thanks so much. Thanks and, for having uh, we look me. Forward to seeing you soon. Excellent. You guys take care. Thanks. Bye bye. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your horse could enjoy a zone of repellency from pesky flies? Well, he can with EcoVet. EcoVet is an entirely new type of fly repellent that is safe for horses and those applying it, offering a real alternative to toxic pesticides like pyrethrins. EcoVet confuses an insect's normal directional ability, the bug's GPS, if you will. So if it can't locate your horse, it can't bite your horse. Dr. Wendy Ying from the Driving Radio Show has been using it in South Florida, also known as the Jurassic Park of biting insects, and she just loves it. EcoVet's active ingredients are naturally occurring food-grade fatty acids that have been clinically shown to improve the condition of horses with difficult-to-treat sweet itch problems. EcoVet is effective on mosquitoes, ticks, noceums, as well as flies. You can visit EcoVet online at eco-vet.com for more information or to order. You can find EcoVet at Dover Saddlery Stores and EcoVets on Facebook. Just search EcoVet, E-C-O-V-E-T. Our next guest is Kathy Connolly, and this is really fun. She came on, oh, it was, I think our first summer, Phil, we were doing the show. Uh, she came on, she was one of our first guests to talk about the Olympics uh, four years ago. So it's super fun to have her back uh, to talk about what it was like to be a selector for the Olympic team, and uh, she's going to run through some of the things that happened in Rio. Well, tonight we are so excited to have Kathy Connolly back. She was our, uh, came on four years ago for our Olympic wrap up and she's back and now she is the vice chair of the high performance dressage committee. She was the chair of the Olympic selectors for our U.S. Olympic team, and she is an S judge and an FEI rider and competitor. Kathy, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Reese, and it's nice to be here with you and Phil and Glenn, and I want to thank you all for inviting me to be on your show. I've heard many accolades from so many riders who love to listen to your broadcast. <laughs> well, we're still on four nice. years. Yeah, I know. We're still yeah. on four years ago. That's pretty good. <laughs> we, that's we made great. another Olympic cycle, so that's a good thing. So you know, we we enjoy, and we're so glad you're back with us because wow, I I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I still have a, a smile on my face from how well the Americans did in the dressage uh, at the Olympic Games. So 
We were so excited to have you back on, kind of talk about the process and, and what we're doing, mm-hmm. and, and it's obviously working. So start us off. How did it, how did it work this year? Okay. Well, it just obviously, as we all know, the United States Versace made an enormous splash internationally, not just at the Olympics, but leading up to it. And as a member of the uh, high performance committee, and then also the chair of the selectors, we had a process where we made a strategy instead of having our selection trials be here in the United States, we wanted to go to Europe and do it there because we wanted the Europeans and the judges to see us there and have pre-Olympic experience with us in that way. So what we did was we chose three shows, Compiègne in France, Rosendahl in Germany, and Rotterdam in the Netherlands to be our finals. And our team did extraordinarily well at each one of those shows. It was really very exciting. And I was well, I was in Rotterdam because that was the, the absolute finals of it. So I covered that show as a selector. George Williams went to Compiègne and Rosendahl, the beginning ones. And we sent over seven riders and nine horses. And so, of course, it was Laura Graves and Verdades and Casey Perry Glass and Dublet, Stefan with Legolas, 92, Ali Brock with Roosevelt. And then Shelley Francis brought over two, Doctor and Donilo. And then Tooney Page and Woodstock and Gunter Seidel with Zero Gravity. And in Rotterdam, I'm going to go ahead to that part because yeah. I was fortunate to go over there before Rotterdam and I went to our U.S. team headquarters where, which is in Belgium. It's a wonderful farm that has been loaned to us by very good friends of Robert Dover's and Robert Dover is just an amazing chef to keep. He's outstandingly optimistic and encouraging person. He always has been. We've known each other since we were teenagers. I'm a little bit older than he is, but he has a brilliant mind for strategy and over the years he has contributed so significantly to our plans and strategies to get back to the podium. Robert and the Belgian headquarters watched all of the riders go. And then also he helped Stefan in particular, Gunter and Shelley Francis. Debbie McDonald was helping Laura Graves and Casey Perry Glass. And Michael Barrison was helping Allie Brock with Roosevelt, the stallion that belongs to the Kundrins. And then Tooney Page met us in Rotterdam, aren't from Germany. The training time was so fantastic. Um, the team just bonded together very naturally. It was very admirable to see that because very often in these circumstances, it can be very competitive and has been in the past. Like that this time, the support of all the riders for each other was amazing and very inspirational. There was no feeling of a competitive atmosphere with each other at all. It was all about the team, the team, the team. And it remained that. And I must say that we know, I mean, Americans love their horses, but I was for 10 days with all of these horses and riders in Belgium and then at Rotterdam. And the horses were just treated beautifully with no compromise or stress, um, even though it's leading up to an Olympics. So that was all a really great experience just to start off. And what we had done with the selection process was 
we, of course, don't really select the team. They select themselves by how they score, just like with all the other teams. But we all know that other aspects can come into this. Um, so we are there in case an unusual circumstance comes up and a decision has to be made at the end about who's actually going to be on the team. But it really came out the way that it did in the scoring. It was, as you know, it was an absolutely nail-biting Olympics. Yeah for the dressage. Um, there were so many extraordinary riders and horses. And I think a very significant aspect of this Olympics, and we have Stephen Clark as chair of the FBI dressage, and we're so blessed with that man. He's done so much good for the sport and for all nations. And he said that at this Olympics, he said, we judges are going to reward lightness in the horses and lightness in the self-carriage and lightness in the way of going. We had a very experienced group of top judges there. There were seven judges. You know, we know we used to have five, but now we have seven. So it was Clark, Holler, Arup, Rockwell, Alonso, Lang, and DeWolf. And they were they work hard. I mean, as everyone says... The rider only has to ride one horse, but the judges have to ride every one. It's huge pressure to be judging a competition like this because they so badly want to be fair. And, of course, they're very experienced. I thought some interesting statistics at this Olympics were that the dressage Olympians, as an average, were 38 years old. And, of course, there's a number of veterans out there quite a few of them very successfully competing and above that age, such as Stefan Peters, who's 52 and Isabel Verrett, who's 47. And going on to the Olympics, we all know that leading up to the Olympics, the jerk really stormed Aachen and were first, second and third place there. But I have to say also when we were at Rotterdam, the Europeans were really taken aback at watching the American team in both the three-star and the five-star just ride, 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 and be winning and winning. Stefan won first place in both the three-stars with Rosamund. And then, of course, all of our riders competed very well in the five-star. So Europeans were buzzing about that over there, and it was a very good lead-up to the Olympics. So it was a great strategy to be doing our trials over there and not hiding over here and just going over there to see what they thought about us when they hadn't really seen us. Uh, We know that the Germans won the gold and the Germans were just absolutely had a meteoric determination to excel at this Olympics and get their gold medal back after London where the Brits won it in 2012 and Isabel Vert came in and she said right away we want our gold back <laughs> and and they got it back and in the Rio Olympics you know they're world-class horses ridden in top classical form by these German riders and of course Isabel was the captain and there was Dorothy Schneider on Showtime Christina Sprea Broering on Desperado and Sinka Rosenberger on Cosmos and it was very interesting <laughs> Actually, I'm going to talk about the freestyle later, but when you, if you watch the NBC on USA <laughs> final freestyle and Randy Moss said after 
Laura Graves just wrote a heroic, incredible freestyle. He said, well, the good news is Laura wrote an amazing freestyle. He said, the bad news is Isabel there is next. And of course, we know her experience, which I'll go on about a little bit later. But So Great Britain produced some outstanding rides. They are such an experienced and, and talented team, and they really helped and held their own with the Germans breathing down their necks and the Americans really trying to take the silver medal from them. And we know their team, Charlotte and Vallegro, Carl and Nip Tuck, Fiona Bigwood, who did a lovely job with Orthelia and Spencer Wilton and Supernova. And then our bronze team for Yay. a 12 year hiatus. <laughs> yep. Yay. <laughs> was the United States, um, who just made an outstanding impression at Rio with one fabulous ride after another, riding under so much pressure to overtake the British for the silver and to stay ahead of the Netherlands and keep the bronze, and they achieved it. And again, we know who our team was. All the riders rode admirably, just so admirably under such great pressure. But Laura Graves rode heroically. To oh, hold our team she up. She's a movie. For the bronze. She is a movie. Yes. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel the Hallmark moment. Like, I was great. I was, I think we were all jumping up and down. We had a watch party here, and we were literally jumping up and down. We were, she was that great. It was, she great. was extraordinary. Yep. And they have such a great partnership, she and her horses. We know she got her horses a full. And I know Laura quite well. She's in, at Haven Safe Farm in Wellington, where I also train. And, so I got to watch a lot of her training, other her other horses too. But the partnership between those two is is amazing. And just like with Vallegro, who's a very sensitive horse and has an astounding relationship with Charlotte, Laura has that with Diddy. That's his nickname. And she just went right in there and got her 80-plus in the special mm-hmm. and then her 80-plus-plus-plus in the... Um, freestyle to hold her spot. So what I thought was exciting was right out after the Grand Prix, Germany held the first spot, Great Britain was second, USA was third, and the Netherlands was fourth, very close behind USA. But the United States riders really landed the bronze medal, again, with Laura making her leading with her beautiful Grand Prix special on freestyle. So the placings remained the same for the team medal after the Grand Prix special. And this part I thought was very interesting. We know the Germans won the gold and it was 81.936. Great Britain was the silver with 78.595. There was only 3.341 difference between those two scores. Now USA was bronze with 76.667, we were only 1.928 behind the silver medal in Great Britain, So, who won the gold in 2012. So we've made a significant difference in uh, our, the quality of what our team is producing now and our country is producing. And then, of course, the Netherlands were behind us in the fourth place. As far as... Oh, the freestyle day. Now, did you all see the freestyle day? Oh, it was great. <laughs> yes, it of was course. Wasn't it? 
much. <laughs> we we had it on at the barn. You know, there was a, yep. a laptop at the barn that you know we have Wi-Fi at the barn. So we, I was riding and watching and watching and riding. Yeah, yeah. We were not that I productive mean, that exciting. day. I'm gonna be real. We were we were really mostly watching. It was fantastic, and that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I mean, just all the different choreographies and the choices of music and the synchronization of all of it. It, it was really the best Olympic, I think, freestyle that I have ever watched. But with Vallegro and Charlotte, here she went right in there and she clinched a second gold medal after doing the whole process and, and also beat her own record in London in the freestyle with, by getting a 93.857. And she's such a pure performer. She just uses superlatives to describe the heart and bravery of Allegro. His one tempies in the freestyle were extraordinarily ground covering. And she said that she felt the pressure and expectation and felt unusually nervous going into the arena. And she said the day before, she visited Rio de Janeiro's famous Christ the Redeemer statue. And she said, I got on my hands and knees and prayed. So maybe that helped too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it did. She was great. (laughs) And just, you could see when she finished, it was just such a pure emotion of, you know, we've all had that horse that's been special to us and retired that horse. And, and, you know, certainly Mm -hmm. always that bond is, is great, but you could see it in her face and, and just how proud Mm -hmm. she was and of, of, you know, of blueberry Mm -hmm. and just how cool it was just a neat moment, I think for the sport and they are just such a team. And I, think that's they are such an example and and same with Laura Graves you know just you look at that look at them and how they are and their relationship with their horse and 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 that's truly what we're after and I think it was just a just a great reminder for all of us um and this is here on the Olympic stage as as big as it gets and and her her partner because I also read some follow-up and she said you know she was so nervous around the ring but he just mm-hmm. kind of grabbed her and said, come on, let's do this. And, and it was just sweet. Mm-hmm. It was really sweet. And really, I, I teared up. I'm not going to lie. When she came out of the ring, it was, it was neat, a neat experience to watch for sure. It so. really was. And you, I remember after London when she won 2012 and she came out and she was waiting for this score and she was crying. But she's really sobbing after this one because, it, you know, it's been a long run here now. So yeah. it was beautiful to see and she really deserved that she really deserved this course she got and she really deserved to win that place and I love when she said he's so easy to ride now I just have to think it and he does it and that's what it looked like mm-hmm. and then of course we had Isabel come in and as we know she's the most meddled rider in dressage history the gold medals um, not Olympic medals rather six gold and that Oldenburg mare, as we know, she'd only been riding her for nine months because her other horse had a soundness issue. So <laughs> she is such a determined person, and she's just amazing. I mean, she's simply amazing. There's no one who compares with what she's done time after time going in there to, to win more medals than anyone else. So she not only held up her spot, but she won the silver medal. And I watched her on the screen when she came out, and she looked up and she just sort of totally as a veteran looked and said, oh, okay, well, it'll be silver. That's fine. Yeah, I'd be okay <laughs> and, with that. I'm not going to lie. I'd be like, okay, yeah. thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
And then Christina um, coming with Desperado to win the bronze and just squeezing in ahead of Laura because Laura truly, it was spine tingling to watch Laura's ride. I just thought it was pure grace and beauty. And I, I know I'm American, so I'm prejudiced, but a lot of my Germans and Dutch friends have called to congratulate our team and all of that and really felt the same way. It was really a very heroic ride. So our whole team really worked so beautifully as a team. It's so exciting to be on the podium. Stefan said he was sobbing too after all these years. And mm-hmm. I must say that the supporters, the horse owners, the fans, the supporters, the grooms, I got to know very, very well in Rotterdam. And the whole experience, there wasn't one glitch anywhere. I can say as chair of this year's selectors, there wasn't one glitch anywhere with a person, a horse, an owner. It was all an extraordinary experience, I think, for everybody involved. That's so cool. That's such a, you know, and you could really see that just even being, you know, on the sidelines and on Facebook with everyone, just the experience and how um, really they worked as a team. I think that was so evident with this team and team believe and, mm-hmm. and you could only catch the spirit with them, which was really, it was really extraordinary. And, um, you know, I, I hope it looks like they took a little time off and had some fun, which uh, I, I know they needed it. And, and um, so Kathy, kind of what's next? What's sort of the next phase? If, if anybody's gone there, I know there was such a big push for the Olympics. Is there sort of a, a next stage or is everyone going to rest a little bit before the Florida season for next year? I think they, they've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. I was teaching a clinic back in Hawaii when Compian was coming up and we had conference calls from there. And I thought it'd be one conference call and end up being eight conference calls that day because there's so much preparation for going in and, and what's going to happen with each decision that we make. And so they've been at this a long time to come to this. And so I think that they're pretty much going to rest themselves and the horses because, well, the riders ride their other horses, but it's time for the, the Olympic horses to take a break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I think all these riders, well, Casey will probably stay out in California. Maybe she'll come down to Florida. And she certainly is an upcoming extraordinary combination with Dublat and we have great hopes for her in the future with him. And also we have a number of other young riders coming along and very good horses. We have a pretty good depth of horses. So it's not just, that's what the Europeans kept saying. Well, is this it or do you have a lot more? <laughs> we said, we have quite a few, we have quite a few more coming along. Actually. Yeah. yeah. But so that's our hope. We know we're going to continue with our strategy. Our pipeline, as you know, has been developed from lead line on up to the Olympics. Our, it's big help that we won the Nations Cup internationally. We The Germans won at Aachen and the Netherlands did at Rotterdam, but we won internationally the whole Nations Cup. And so a lot of work has gone into all this, and I just see yeah. us on the rise and ongoing and we're all grateful for this enormous achievement and look forward to the future. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it is, it's so exciting to be part of it. Sorry, Phil. Good luck in Canada. 
but uh, no, I, this is, it's been such a fun thing to watch and, and really, um, you know, just, we, we have our fingers and toes crossed and, and love the system that's been developed. So, well, Kathy, thank you so much for coming back on the show and, and God willing that in four years, we're all back here again and going over the next Olympics in Tokyo. Uh, so Kathy, how could our listeners find you online? I have a website and I also have a Facebook page so people can refer to those to contact me or to know what I what different things I'm doing next. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Kathy. Thank you very much, all of you in this wonderful radio station. And I really appreciate getting to speak with you all again, Phil and Reese and Glenn. Thank you very much. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, this evening, I am so happy to have Janet Foy, USEF S judge, FEI four-star judge. She's a rider, she's a trainer, she's a clinician, and an author of some great books. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again. I always enjoy being on your show and um, working with your listeners. We love it. Well, that's why we had you back because we gave you the very, which you are incredibly capable of going through for our final through the level segments, uh, the Grand Prix, and next week will be the Grand Prix special. So this is also, Janet, kind of our Olympic wrap-up show. So hopefully our listeners uh, got to see some of the Grand Prix and the special last week uh, during the Olympic Games. But tonight we're going to talk about the Grand Prix. And uh, if you don't mind, let's get started. What are, what are you okay. looking for yeah, when we start the Grand Prix? Okay. Well, you know, the Grand Prix is the pinnacle of our sport. And um, I have to say the quality and the the number of 80% and 75% and over at the Olympic Games was just incredible. And um, it was such a high level of sport that I think we can be very, very proud of um, where our sport has, has gone. Um, and hopefully the Olympics will keep us there. Um, you know, there's always that discussion, but um, I think, that the level they that the Olympic Committee saw and the spectators saw this year should go a long way toward um, keeping us in the Olympics because it was just incredible. It was amazing. Um, I think oftentimes here in this country, anyway, the um, the goal for people is not even thinking of the Grand Prix and riding it in a way that they would consider themselves being judged on the same level as um, Charlotte or Laura or Stefan. The, the idea for them is more, well, I'm going to try to squeak in and get my 60% so I can get my gold medal. And um, certainly 30 years ago, if you look at the scores, 60% was very hard to achieve in Grand Prix. And a lot of things have, have changed. Um, judging methodology for one uh, back in the old days, uh, one mistake was a four. Uh, now you're given credit for what happened before and after the mistake. Um, again, back in the old days, most of the top Olympic courses were getting sixes on gates. And now that is also getting up to the eights and the nines. Um, 
with the modern horse and the really long uh, forelegs, if you look at videos um, from 30 years ago of even Reiner Klimka and Karen Rabine, some of the top horses, if you look at their half passes, they don't have the lift and the reach and the expression in the shoulders that the modern horses have with the long forelegs. So you can certainly see why the scores are going up and why there's a lot of nines and tens nowadays and um, the changes and the passage and the piaf and the half passes, the quality has has really changed along with um, a little bit the style of riding and certainly the breeding of the horse. So um, that's been really, really exciting. And I think it's, for me, important that everybody looks at the whole picture first and then thinks about the small details. There are so many dressage critics that worry about, oh, well, the neck's a little shorter, the pole's a little lower, the mouth is open sometimes, um, rather than looking at, you know, the whole picture, the activity of the hind legs, the the rhythm, the cadence of the horse. Um, and sometimes those little moments happen, you know, where the neck gets shorter, the mouth opens, and it may not be a, a pervasive problem that happens all the time. Um, and, of course, with the video and the Internet, little clips of bad moments get spread around as the example for what's happening all the time. And, you know, that isn't true. And it's it's unfortunate and it's too bad that it's one of the facts of modern life that we have the Internet for, you know, for good and for bad. So, um, I, for me, I think probably most any six-moving horse can be a pre-St. George horse. Um, then after you start talking about Piaf, Passage, and the one-time changes, those really are the three movements that make up a Grand Prix horse. And if the horse is missing one of those movements, then in my opinion, he's not a Grand Prix horse. Um, even though I have to judge a lot of horses that people think, oh, well, my horse doesn't do that, but I'm going to go show Grand Prix anyway. <laughs> Um, you know, if they want to do that, that's fine, but they have to understand that as a judge, I have to mark that um, accordingly. And it's a missing piece in the uh, in the training. Um, so it, it, it takes years, I would say, from my experience, depending on the horse, the athletic ability, of course, the mind, some horses have a little bit more trainable mind than others and but let's say you have a a seven moving horse with a fairly trainable mind and you're able to start at four years old I would say if if you have the right instruction and experience the horse should be ready to do its first Grand Prix at nine ten years old and then you have the problem of okay the horse takes a year for him to learn the test and get strong enough to really do the test in a way that you're going to get a decent score. Um, Struggling through a Grand Prix um, is usually not the best way to go. And if you're not an experienced rider, then it's going to take you a year to learn to ride the test. I mean, you know, I think back to the first time I rode Grand Prix, the whole test, and it was like, Oh my gosh. And Reese, I know you can identify. Yeah, it's like you're like, what just happened? I was on a roller coaster and I don't even know what happened. Well, uh, yeah. you know, it's yeah, you train this movement and then you train this movement, then you have a little break and 
and you yeah. do a couple moves, and you know that test. You have at the most one corner to get your ducks in a row <laughs> before the next <laughs> thing smell. happens. And then you had a mistake, so then you missed the corner, and then you're really in trouble. So I really know, does. and it just it, it just snowballs. It's it's truly, um, and I don't think people realize what a huge, incredible jump it is from St. George. I mean, it is like a total alien world. <laughs> and I'm thrilled that the FEI has put this intermediate A and B um, in with the Intermediate Two and now called it the Medium Tour. It's a much friendlier, um, uh, let's, shall we say, progression to go from the St. George I won into the Medium Tour where there's um, fewer of the one times, fewer of the two times, fewer steps in the Piaf. You can travel more forward. Um, you know, those things just make so much more sense. Yeah. They really do. So, and, and, and do, um, do make the level of difficulty helpful. Yeah. yeah. Big time. That's super, super helpful. So, anyway, I have to say, um, to this under 25. Um, I just came back from Europe. I was lucky enough to be appointed by the FEI to do the very first European Championships for the under 25. And we had 44 riders, which was way more than they thought they would have from all over Europe. And I have never seen anything like that. Those kids are hardened competitors. <laughs> I mean... Take no prisoners. Those Germans, the Dutch team, there were some fabulous Swedish riders, Danish riders. Spain had some great rides. And I tell you what, um, we have a long way to go in this country um, as far as taking our young riders and our juniors and pushing them up to that next level and, and getting the experience. It just, um, it was a real eye-opener as far as, wow, we've come a long way, baby, but... <laughs> mm -hmm. We need mm -hmm. we need more. So uh, I guess, you know, thinking if you're going to do it, if you want to do it, play with the movements, find a trainer who's experienced because um, experimenting is never a good thing because if the horse gets scared and the horse gets nervous about the piaf, um, he's never going to learn it. And the same thing with the one-time changes. I think you have to have amazing timing to get those, those ones, because if you think you're too late with your aids. So, um, I, you know, I don't know. I still highly, highly recommend schoolmasters if possible. And I know there's quite a few, because we're looking for one for a student now, there's quite a few very nice 16, 17 year old Grand Prix schoolmasters for, you know, it, they're expensive, but they're, they're, not out of the, this world, you know, 50, 60,000. And if you can afford to do that, boy, you're going to come a long way faster, you know, learning um, from a horse that can teach you, you know, what the buttons mean. Absolutely. And it's so true because it, it is such a different, a different world. So Janet, with the test, so tell us a little bit, you know, you come in, you go down the center line. Can you kind of help us go through the ground, you know, go through the test a little bit and what you're thinking as a judge and you're looking for as, as the writer's going through? 
Okay, so in the entry you come in, we're looking for a lovely uphill canter, straightness, and a good transition to a square halt. Um, we, we don't, we'd like to see a little pirouette canter so the horse settles softly into the halt, carries his neck, stands, of course, the required three seconds, and then the trot for a high score has to come out of that halt like, whoa, that's incredible. Not walking, um, you know, I mean, it's Grand Prix. We're, we're, we pretty much have been nice and, you know, a little forgiving up till this point. But at this point, that's it. We're done. It's painful so, at first. Yes, very painful. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then, um, of course, we think it's a Grand Prix horse. So they should, of course, go into the corner in preparation for the extension. Um, and again, we like to see um, a horse that's uphill. Uh, we'd like to see more freedom in the trot and more ground cover. And then we'd like to see a transition at the end as well on the other diagonal back to collect a trot. And we see quite a few um, trots that are downhill still and running um, where the hind legs are not engaged. And I, I have to say that probably very, very few tens are given internationally an extended trot. It just seems to be something that um, the horses are uphill, um, but the amount of ground cover is is not as much as uh, we'd need to see for a 10. So I think we saw a couple of nines from the judges uh, on some of the extensions yeah, at the Olympics, yeah. you know. But again, that's not a very place where lots of horses get 10s. Um, and then we have the two half passes, which, um, again, it's a good idea to use your corner to set your horse up. And we see a lot of corner cutting and uh, cheating so that, you know, if you start on the quarter line, then it's really cheating because you're <laughs> yeah. not doing the, the requirement. Um, I would say probably the the comment that I, I use the most is needs more bend. Um, for some reason, bending seems to have gone a bit out of style. Um, and then, you know, just as you're thinking that, here comes Isabel Worth, and she just, like, kills it, right? It's like, <laughs> okay, good. There is Bend. Bend is alive and well. Um, so I think probably still we talk about horses being equally supple both sides in a Grand Prix. That would be the ideal. But I still think... Very few horses get a 10 and a 10. Usually it's a 9 and a 10. Um, one side is still just a tiny bit better um, than the other side. So uh, then we have the new halt and rain back that was came in in the new test um, cycle. And it's right there at C and, you know, in front of the three judges there. So you can't hide much. Um, and again, the halt should be square. The horse should carry the neck would like to see a soft transition on the hind legs, not the mouth open and the horse hanging in the bridle. Um, in the rain back, the halt should be settled. Um, there's not a three-second rule except for the halts on center line, the entry and the, the finish halt. So think of your rain back halt as settled. And then the steps should be in diagonal pairs with the horse staying in self-carriage with the shoulders up in a nice contact 
um, and five steps and then directly into another lovely collected trot for the next extension, um, which then comes into the first passage that we see. Um, and the passage is the highest, uh, most cadenced trot, and we'd like to see not just the lift in the front legs and the shoulders, which with the more modern horses, they're very um, easy to do, but that the hind legs stay engaged and in front of the tail and um, also that they are lifting and coming off the ground. Um, oh, the hoof print, the hoof at maybe the middle of the, the hind cannon. Um, so dragging toes is a problem. Rhythm errors, you see some horses double tapping. Um, sometimes you see horses taking uneven strides. One hind leg would be a little bit longer than short, long, short, long, short. You don't see as many mistakes with the front legs with the rhythm. So usually you're looking a little more at the hind legs and making sure there's no no rhythm errors. And um, that, and then the piaf we do count. Sorry, oh, yeah. I just want to Go jump ahead. in for a second because I think that's true in the passage and the piaf. But I want you to be watching the back legs in the extended trots as well because I mean we've seen a lot of horses that lift very much, very high in the front end. And you know, for a ten, uh, what are we looking for behind? Well, again, you know, if the hind legs and the extension are not loaded equally, you're going to see also maybe some problems with the front legs that the front legs won't be level. Um, And you might not even see it in the hind legs, but you'll see one front leg coming higher than the other one. So the extensions, you can see rhythm errors front or behind. Um, And I think, again, the horse should stay uphill, and ideally the horse takes the weight on the hind legs, and then the hind legs push the horse forward to where the the toe is pointed with the front leg. you know, we see a lot of, and I guess that score is going to be around in the seven range when you see a tiny bit more freedom in the trot in an extension and it stays uphill, but you don't see a lot of ground cover. The ground cover is a little bit limited. So, you know, that's going to be in the seven, seven-ish range. Super. Thanks. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so I think we're coming to the first pee-off in, in the test here. Right. So... Um, we, we have to look a little bit at the, the, the Piaf is the quickest tempo. You know, if we think of all the different trots, um, they're basically the same rhythm. And we use the word rhythm and tempo differently because tempo is the repetition of the rhythm. So Piaf is the quickest tempo of the trot rhythm. And the Passage is the slowest. So they have to go from the slowest to the quickest without losing that diagonal pair. Um, and they also should take a little bit more weight um, in the Piaf. You should see the croup lower. You do see horses, there's a discussion with Rembrandt and also a little bit Verdotti's their technique. Um, they were very active. They never missed a beat. Um, the Piaf was pretty much on the spot, but the discussion was always, um, could they take more weight? And you know, it's, it, okay, we agree, but there's still high quality when the the activity is there and they're staying on the spot for the required number of steps. And it's important that the judge counts. And I have to say we give you a little bit of leeway because we're not exactly sure where you think you started. But 
Um, <laughs> with the really top riders, you can see it. It's like boom, <laughs> you know. And so we don't want you to escape out of it and do too few steps. You need to stay there, the required number of steps. Um, and again, with the the rhythm staying diagonal pairs, the idea a little bit as the horse jumps from one loaded hind leg to the other. Um, and uh, I think Charlotte's was quite good in the special. Um, I think we saw some wonderful Piaf from the German horses. And, um, you know, of course, Stefan and Legos always, that's one of their specialties is the Piaf and Passage. So um, you can really clearly see um, the the ones that are going to be in the eights and above and then the ones who are having some rhythm mistakes or they lose the rhythm in or out in that transition and then the scores are going to go down a little bit there. Um, and then into the next passage and then into extended walk. And extended walk, if you... David um, Strickland had a really interesting pie chart that he was plot, doing a graph, plotting all the scores. Um, and, of course, the rounder the pie was, the, the better it was. If you looked at, at um, Charlotte's pie, most everything was between 8 and 10, except the uh, two walks, and they were the only two pieces that went down um, to the 7, 7.5 range. And I think, you know, you ask the horse to be, you know, right there on your eights and be quick and wonderful. And then boom, now you're supposed to relax and, um, really be supple through your back and free through the shoulder and show a lot of overstep. Um, and I think that's difficult for a Grand Prix horse and the collected walks even more difficult because they know the passage is coming on the other side of the the short end. So for me personally, I have never given a, a 10 on a collected walk. And um, I've tried to use the scale a little bit more and say, okay, I should, you know, say, oh, that could be an eight. And so I've been trying to make that scale a little bit of a broader range um, and push that up. But um, again, I just think the requirements and what we're doing with the horse, it's difficult mentally for them to be super relaxed and then bang, hit that transition to passage, yeah. which has to be, you know, crisp. Um, and, and you're right down there by the judge. Yeah. Cause you're right down yeah. with the judge. So there's no cheating. <laughs> you no, know, you're right no. there. You can't, no. you know, it's, that's I mean, a tough one. You can't one. even clock or anything. No, <laughs> yeah. no, you can't do anything. No, I know. It's, it's tough. Like, it's a tough one. Yeah. But that's a yeah. tough transition. And I have to say that, Usually we see a stride or two of trot before we actually, you know, get the passage developed. Um, not with the top horses, but um, that's a that's a, a tricky transition to really go from that collected walk to boom. You know, let's let's get up here and and get those hind legs working. So then we finish with the you know the piaf passage serpentine, and then I think. If that's not hard enough, you have to do the canter depart um, from the passage. And that's a tricky movement as well. You see a lot of horses get a little tense, a little tight um, in that particular transition. And um, that takes a bit of skill and tact to, to train and ride as well. So 
Um, so then you're just sort of like thinking you're going to die and, and you need <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> and, and, and oh, my God, there, there can't be more. And then you, you get into canner health, you know. And I do have to say, in the old Grand Prix, Reese, which you and I rode, yep. um, we had to immediately go into canter into the zigzag. Yes. And the zigzag, back when I was riding Grand Prix, had another six half that. Um, and it was, I, I, I think someone finally said, um, has anybody in the world ever given a 10 on this movement? And I think finally nobody in the world had ever done it. And so the thinking was then, oh, gosh, well, then it must be too hard. <laughs> so, yeah. It's already hard enough. It was it's like, hard. yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it was amazing. It was a miracle to me, like Carol LaBelle was gifted with his big canner could, could do that movement. I was just in awe of her. Like, how did she do that? That was so amazing. <laughs> but it's, it's a really... Really tricky movement, but now it's a little friendlier because from the canner, um, you go into the two tempies and then into your extended um, canner. So you have a little bit of uh, leeway there before you start the, the zigzag. Um, and the two tempies, we want to see again, very uphill um, for an eight and above. They should really cover ground. The changes should be written in your least collective of your collective canners. Um, and you should be able to place them so that the middle changes around the earth. Um, if they're uphill, but need more end straight, but need more ground cover, you're going to be in the seven, 7.5 range. Um, if they're swinging and downhill, it's going to drop you down to the six range. And then your deductions come, um, off of the quality score. And then of course, the number of deductions will bring the, the score down depending on how many you have um, counting mistakes or late front, late behind. So, um, you know, the judges are pretty busy there. They don't want the scribes to talk at that point because they're, well, I don't know. I have two hands. So on one hand, I count the counting mistakes. And on the other hand, I count the mistake that the changes are late. And then it's, it's just how my brain works. <laughs> That's actually a really good tip. That's actually a pretty good tip. I like that, Janet. I, 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 that's a really good idea. I've never done it that way, but that's a fantastic way to do it as you're going through. I like that. Yeah, it. well, keeps it keeps my brain working. So otherwise, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then I can actually put in the comments whether it was a counting mistake or it was a change late in front or behind or a combination of both. So I feel like then I can give the writer a little bit more information. That, that's helpful. Um, the extended canner, usually, um, we see the extension and then again, if it's uphill and going somewhere and straight, it'll be in the seven range. Um, you gotta have some risk, you know, no pain, no gain. So you gotta have some risk. If you want an eight or above, you have to, you know, pretend you're maybe an event rider instead of a dressage rider. And, um, Go for it. And then the transition, we, we don't see very many good transitions. We need to see um, even just about the quarter line, the transition back to collection, and then the horse goes a little more forward for the change. And the change should be the first stride 
the front leg should hit the rail. So the change will still be on the diagonal line and won't be in the corner. And I often have to write that comment that the riders are putting the transition and the change at the wrong place, the wrong location. Mm -hmm. So, and then we have the dreaded zigzag. Um, (laughs) And again, most of the time, and I have this argument with Robert, and I say, Robert, you know, fine, if it's Isabel or Charlotte or Stefan or Laura, yes, the judge can start counting one because they know exactly where the horse starts. But trust me, if you're in, you know, outer um, Midwest or, you know, you you aren't really going to know where that first change, that first half half started. So I usually don't start counting until the, the flying change for the second half pass. And then I do my count. Um, from there. And we'd like to see exactly the same if the middle chain should be crossing center line. So um, it should be placed equally on either side or center line. And I think a lot of people lose points there because they let the horse go too much sideways in the direction the horse is able to go more sideways. And they need to think about that because then the other direction is always a problem and they never, you know, get back and it becomes a little bit disorganized. And I think this is again, a very hard movement to control Um, to say nothing of now our little lamb lambs think they know the test, you know, and they know this movement and they don't need us. And they certainly can do this better if we just left them alone. (laughs) So I think, Practicing this on center line is the worst thing you can do. I think you need to use the rail and um, rail to quarter line, any place other than center line, because they get just so darn smart. Um, And then, of course, they want to take control. And then it's very, very difficult. So anyway, I think that's a tough movement. Um, But to me, it's also maybe the pinnacle of taught when we talk about engagement, we all talk about the hind legs, but we also need to talk about the lightness and mobility of the shoulders. And I think this movement, if it's done really, really well, shows the engagement as well as the rider's ability to move the shoulders quickly from one side to the other without the horse falling sideways in the direction of the shoulders. You know, that's still a very uphill feeling. Um, rather than a sideways-sideways kind of feeling, if that makes sense. Um, so a beautiful zigzag, I just, boy, that just impresses the heck out of me, I have to say. I'd I love to see that. And you just, of course, don't see um, a lot of ones that are done, you know, super, super well, that they can get the count, they can center it, of course, bends equally both ways, and then for really top score actually has a lot of lateral reach um, in each half pass. So um, I, I remember sitting in the stands during WEG in Kentucky watching the warm up, and Edward Gall was our totalist, and they were just schooling. He came down center line and did a zigzag, and I just, I was sitting with Endel Ox, and I looked over and I said, that is the best one I've ever seen in my life. That was incredible. I mean, it was like, wow. oh my gosh, there's a 10. And I think he did get a 10. <laughs> um, 
later on in the competition, but he was, he was good at that. And that horse was very good at that movement. And that's a, that's a hard one. Okay. Now we've done that. What do we do next? The ones? Yes. The ones. The one can be. Yes. yes. So <laughs> now hopefully your horse has been perfectly on the ace for your zigzag because now the ones <laughs> come up <laughs> and <laughs> Again, we want to see ground cover, uphill, forward, um, equal. Now you can really see the equal separation of the hind legs. And oftentimes you see one hind leg takes a little bit bigger stride and then the change the other direction is a little bit shorter. So, um, again, you shouldn't blink. You've got to keep your eyes open the whole time because there's so many things that could happen. Um and since we usually don't have a JSP to help us if we make a mistake, <laughs> we have to really pay attention for those. Um, and then, okay, now this I think is the last insult, the pirouettes are at the yes. very end. <laughs> I know, it's like, oh my gosh, couldn't they have put those in there a little bit sooner, oh, yeah. right? So, let's see, you're sitting right there on center line. And for a 10, you've got to approach those pirouettes in shoulder four. And you see a variety of um, haunches in. In other words, I put the haunches on the center line and let the shoulders fall over. Um, but for the highest scores, you've got to have a shoulder four. And then control, I would say, for me, the canter pirouette is, is all about control, that the rider is controlling every single step. Um, that the horse is still thinking forward and isn't spinning, and yet the rider has control of the turning and the size. And then, of course, the finish, you see a lot of mistakes uh, where the horse tries to leave too soon. Um, You see them lose the lead behind. Um, You know, there's a variety of different things. And the other thing I see a lot of is I, I see riders doing those the horse without having any bending, and they do need to have... Um, some bend in the position of the turn. So, um, you know, that that also is something that judges are looking at. So we're looking at quite a lot. And we count the steps. Um, we're very picky about that. If it takes too long to get the horse turned around, then we don't think the shoulders are mobile enough. And if the horse is too quick, then we don't think the horse is secure enough on the hind legs. So uh, counting is important. And I think the riders need to learn how to count their strides as well, um, because I don't think some of them think about that, and it is important. And then we turn, and we're like, oh, we have flying change, and we have another pirouette right up there by the judge, and then we get to turn, and then finally back to trot. Oh, we're almost done. Another, <laughs> extend, another extension, and then finally down center line, and another Passage, Piaf, Passage Tour. And this can be interesting for the judge at sea because they've not really seen the Piaf or Passage straight on. They've seen it sort of in a silhouette. And if you're on the side at B or E, now you're seeing a silhouette and, and the other um, tour you see more the front or the hind legs. So it can be very interesting from the front. Um, oftentimes, the horse rocks on the shoulders because they don't want to carry enough weight, and that's something you didn't see from the other view. So um, you have to judge what you see. 
you can't remember what you saw before. And if it looks worse, you go down. If it looks better, you go up. And you think the other judges are there doing their jobs, and it'll all work out. So um, a final halt, this halt has to be from passage in the halt. Oftentimes you see the rider lose passage or they halt too soon because they know they're going to lose passage. And this also has to be for three seconds. So, phew, that was and that a long final, yeah, that final, yeah, that <laughs> final one is is you just take a deep breath going down that center line and like, okay, come on, this is where your face really. I know, up. and you get to axe, and the horse is like, oh, maybe I'll stop here, and you have to go. No, no, come on, come on, keep going, going keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, and you know, I have to say, we've talked about the horse this whole time, but really. The ride Grand Prix, the rider has to be fit. There is, you know, there's just no other way. There's nothing to get around this. But um, the rider has to be an athlete now and and has to be fit enough to ride this test and and help the horse. And it it takes a lot of strength, uh, core strength and um, body control to be able to, to get the horse um, through the test in a nice way. And of course you are supposed to be sitting there looking like you're not doing anything. Um, and really you're about ready to bust a cut. You know, it's, it's hard to be that elegant and look like, it, you know, you're making it easy. And, um, but I tell you those riders that we saw in the top 10, they're fit. You know, I know, um, they they don't just ride horses. They go to the gym. They do weight. They do a lot of other cross training to help their level of um, strength. So, you know, horse and rider are both athletes, and we have to remember that it's not so hugely important at first level. But um, at Grand Prix, it is um, absolutely important. Absolutely. Well, Janet, thank you so much. That was, I mean, I learned stuff, Philip and I were chatting on the Skype and, and it's like, wow, I, I didn't know about the three second rule. This is great. And, and it's so true. And, it, and it's so fun to watch it. And, and if you ever get a chance to ride it, it, it only makes you want to ride it more because it's so yeah. hard to master. <laughs> it so really hard. is. Well, Janet, thank you so much. And also, um, Janet is the author of Dressage for the Not-So-Perfect Horse and Dressage Question and Answer. Janet, how do we find uh, the books and how do we uh, ask some questions online if, if we want to get a hold of you? Um, the books are available either on Amazon or through the publisher, which is Trafalgar Press. And Trafalgar has a website and they have a place that you can click and answer, ask me questions and I'm happy to answer them. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Janet. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Have a great evening. We're going to talk about the new girth that uh, Justin has. And Phil and I have both tried this girth, and it's fantastic. So, Phil, take it away. I've had it. It's called, uh, for quite a bit, it's called the Stretch Tech Shoulder Relief Girth. It has all the same awesome qualities and features of the shoulder relief girth, only that this one has a triangular elastic center that um, that allows the horse's chest to expand and uh, it makes a softer contact with the horse's sternum. So it's it's taken all the qualities of that nice shoulder relief girth and enhanced them even further and uh, made an awesome girth to allow your horse to breathe a little better. Um, it fits awesome, you know, it allows the, sh- the shoulder 
freedom that we've talked about puts your saddle in the exact right place where you want it to stay. I like to test things out to see if they, you know, uh-huh. stand up to the rigorous training schedule, work schedule of, of the horses that we have. And I've used it almost every day. And it's it's been a, a really great growth. I think it's even better than the shoulder relief growth um, because it's got... It's got more liners. You can you have options. You know what you want mm-hmm. to be on the, against the horse. So I have the the leather one, and what I've really been liking is the the neoprene liner, which yes. is easy. You can take it off, hose it down, or put it in the wash or whatever, and it's been extremely durable and it fit forms to the horse. Okay, well that was a pretty good show, Reese. Now the Olympics is over. It's kind of sad, I know. but uh, we <laughs> but wanted we to bring up of... something about you. You won a grant through the uh, USEF, or was it USDF? Can the, you tell actually, us about your grant? Sure. Yeah. No, it was through the Dressage Foundation, um, okay. which is. I get confused all the different organizations. <laughs> yes, it's true. It was great. It was. Um, it's for the uh, FEI Instructor Certification Program, uh, and I can't thank them enough. They have been so supportive, and I do really want to, to you know tell people about the foundation. It's a great. Uh, it's a foundation. They have lots of different grants for different riders. Uh, this was one specifically for people going for the FEI certification. So I don't know if anybody else applied. And and we were talking a little bit off air. You know, you never know with the grants. You know, I think people get intimidated and they don't apply or, you know, they don't take the time to there, – there's a process – to do it, but it's not terrible. And, um, it was really, I'm just very thankful. Uh, that's an expensive program to go through. And, uh, I think a lot of trainers, um, the financial parts limiting for them. So this kind of takes that all out for me and, and I can really, I can go to extra workshops. Um, we hosted one here at the farm. So very, very thankful to the Dressage Foundation. They have the Two Tempe Challenge this year where you can go on and uh, you basically pledge how many two-time changes you can do and uh, you know make a game out of it, which is cool. So it's a great foundation. I encourage you, everybody, to, to look on their website um, and to get involved with it for donating because they donate to all kinds of riders, not just professional riders, uh, but they donate all the way to kids and adult amateurs and people who want to go to conventions. So it's a really cool foundation. Um, and I thank them very much for, for the help and, and will be great on furthering my teaching career. So Awesome. Congratulations. Great. That's wonderful. Thanks. Thank you. Um, I also wanted to say thank you to our listeners. We've got a couple of uh, Facebook questions and emails that we've got to get to in the next, well, when we come back in September. So um, don't worry, we're getting to them. We're, we'll use them for our, our tip segment, and, and uh, we thank you very much for sending those in. Keep sending them in because we always need contact, content and things to talk about on the show. So um, that's been great from our listeners sending those things in. So Thank you. Yeah. So that's about it. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search the Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at horseradio. Reese's website is maplecrestfarmky.com and her email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. The best way to find me on the internet is through Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a great show. And don't forget to check out all the other awesome shows, including the eventing show on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we will talk to you in September. Thank <laughs> you.